0: temple. This was a psalm that was put together for the purpose of worshiping God at the temple. It's a psalm that talks about praise and the necessity of praise. And so let's give our attention to it. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, all 12 verses of Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. And the Lord to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I get under the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of this psalm. And we we pray that this psalm might draw us into praise. We pray that in reading this section of scripture, in hearing it preach, we might realize the very purpose for which we were made, the purpose for which we were created. And we pray that being people created for you and to worship you and to praise you, we pray that we might give praise to you with our whole self and forever. We pray this as we ask that if anything that I say doesn't come from you, that you'd make it fall to the ground and pass away and be forgotten. And we pray that everything that is from you would remain and strengthen our trust in the Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why were you born? What is the purpose of your life? Why are you alive? I want for you to think about that for a while. I want you to think hard about it. And I'm guessing that you know that because I'm asking it and I'm your pastor that I'm anticipating some sort of Sunday school answer. And frankly, I am. There's a right answer to this. I bet you know it. I kind of gave it away in my prayer. So if you're paying attention, you already know the answer. But I want for you to think hard and long about why it is that you are alive and what the purpose of your life is. I want you to think about it hard for a while because... It's sometimes the obvious answers that are the ones that are so quickly and easily forgotten. They start hiding in plain sight. Or they become things that become so familiar to us that we forget about the potency of what it is that we profess and claim. Or sometimes we take the obvious things for granted. So why are you alive? What's the purpose of your life? Psalm 30 tells us, Let me try to get at it from another way. You all know, and I don't intend to frustrate you by belaboring the point, but you probably know who my favorite theologian is, St. Augustine. Man, that dude is awesome. And one of the reasons that he is my favorite theologian is contained in this small book, The Confessions. It's probably his most famous and enduring book. I'm going to read to you from the first section, the first paragraph of the first book in The Confessions. Here is what the great theologian says. He opens up his book with one of the most powerful sentences that has been read since the clo- that has been written since the closing of the canon, and here is that sentence. You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You have been made for a purpose. You have been made by God for God. And your heart and my heart will be restless until it finds its rest in God. But let me go back and actually read the sentence a little bit more broadly. Because that's the section that's most well known. Let me read for you the full sentence here. This is chapter 1. Final sentence. You stir us... So that praising you may bring us joy because you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. These are St. Augustine's confessions. He decides that if he's going to tell it, he's going to tell it all. And what he says is that we have been made for God. We have been made for praise. And what he is doing is just repeating... The purpose and the point of Psalm 30. We have been made to praise God. You are alive for a purpose, and that purpose is to praise God. Perhaps you know that this is true. Maybe you know that your heart will be restless until it finds its rest in God. Maybe you know that you were created for praise, and that when you do that, when you worship your Maker and your Redeemer, you find the purpose of your life. Maybe you've forgotten One of the tragedies, and I do mean tragedies of modern life, is that so much of modern life is constructed to make you forget about your purpose. So much of modern life is constructed to distract you from your own restless heart seeking its way to its maker. The television flickers and tells you that your purpose is to invest your money well or always look like you're 25 or eat McDonald's or something like that. Our phones buzz and distract us. The notifications on our computers ding. All of us, all of it distracting us from that longing in our heart seeking its rest in the Lord God. That longing in our heart seeking to return praise to the one who has made and fashioned and redeemed us. All of it numbing us to the reality that we have a purpose and that the scriptures call us to it. You are alive to praise God. You're alive to praise God. I know that for me, and this is the clearest sometimes late at night when I'm walking and I look up at the expanse of stars and I realize just how huge this universe is, and I can't help but return praise to the one who created the vast expanse of earth and heaven. Or sometimes it's the easiest for me to remember this when I wake up very early in the morning, just before the sun is about to rise and as it peaks over the horizon. I'm filled with wonder that God worked into the very foundation and fabric of our world, a reminder of death and resurrection that replays each evening and each morning. And as the sun rises and the night is driven away, I'm reminded of the one who got up on the third day and defeated death and drove away the darkness. I can't help but return praise to the one who redeemed me It's in those times that I find that there is only one fitting response because there's only one true purpose in life, to praise God. And the title of this psalm that talks about how this is for the dedication of the temple reminds us and points us in that direction because the temple is supposed to be a place of praise and of prayer. This is a psalm that directs us to our purpose, and that is to praise. As you're watching or hearing this right now, one of the things I want to ask you to do is to speak to your own heart or maybe even to say it to the person who's watching this with you or say it to yourself if you're watching this all by yourself. I am alive to praise God. You who are in the sanctuary, I'm going to ask you to do that right now. I am alive to praise God. Let's do that. I am alive to praise God. That is our purpose. And that's what the psalm is about. And there are four parts of the psalm that tell us about this. Here's the first one. Saved to praise. Here's the second. Reasons to praise. Here's the third. Barriers to praise. And here's the last one. Total praise. This is what the psalm is talking about. Let's start with saved to praise. Notice that there are three things in the first section of Scripture. The first three verses here that the Lord has saved David from. He has saved David from his enemies. He saved David from sickness. And he has saved David from death. Verse 1 notes that God has not allowed David's enemies to triumph over him. Verse 2, that David cried out to the Lord for help and the Lord healed him. And verse 3, that the Lord has brought David's soul up from the place of the dead, from Sheol, from the pit. The Lord God saved David from his enemies so that they won't rejoice over him. The Lord God saved David from sickness after David prayed to him. And the Lord God saved David's soul from death, and hell. And because of that, he worships. I will extol you, O Lord, for these reasons. Extolling, you know, it's a little bit of an old word. It means great praise. It means excited praise. I will give you full praise or excited praise, Lord, because of these reasons. David has been saved to praise. He's been saved to exercise the purpose for his existence, the purpose for his life. He's been saved to praise. And if you have been saved in one or all of these ways, then you have been saved for a purpose too, to praise. Have you ever been delivered from your enemies? Maybe your enemy has been a specific person who for a period of time was creating distress in your life through their scorn or their abuse. and Maybe God has delivered you from that person. You should praise him. Maybe the enemy that the Lord has delivered you from is a a certain sin or addiction. Maybe he has brought you out of it so it doesn't hold the same sway over you anymore. If you've been saved, you've been saved to praise. You've been saved to highly praise God. Have you ever been delivered from sickness? Every week in our congregational prayer and in the prayer update that is sent out, I'm always so thankful for it. It drives me to my knees to pray for all of those who are sick. Have you ever prayed to the Lord for deliverance from illness and he answered the prayer and you are well? Well, you are saved from that sickness to praise God. Very often, the Lord does provide healing. And when you are healed, you've been healed to praise. Extol the Lord. Praise Him greatly. Because He's healed you. Have you ever been saved from death? Well, if you're watching or listening right now and you're a Christian, the answer is yes, you have been. This is the power of the cross and the empty grave, that you have been completely saved. Saved and freed from the power of death. Death itself has lost its sting. Death itself has lost its teeth. Death, which was your great enemy, has now become that doorway through which you enter into the kingdom and the country of your God and your Savior. Can you believe that death, that great terror, is now the simple doorway through which you enter and find yourself in a new country, a better country, a truer country? Because that's the country where your Savior lives. Death is now the doorway to seeing the hope of your life, to seeing Jesus. The scriptures talk about being saved as being brought from death into life, being seated with the Lord God. This is what Ephesians 2 says. Let me read this great section from Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 1-10, one of those potent sections of scripture. And you were dead. through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What Ephesians 2 says is that you were dead. You were dead, dead. And Christian, you have been made alive and seated in the heavenly places. Death doesn't have a hold over you. The Lord has redeemed your soul from Sheol, from the pit, and you have been saved to praise him. This is the purpose of your life, and it's the purpose of your redemption. For anyone who is watching and doesn't know Jesus, this is part of the reason why we want to keep telling you about him. This is why we want you to be a Christian, why we inv- want to invite you to be a Christian, because we want you to experience being saved from death. We want you to be ex- able to experience the purpose of your life, to praise the one who made you. We want for you to be able to experience the rest that comes from your deepest longing fulfilled. So won't you trust in Jesus? All who trust in Jesus are saved from death. They're brought into relationship with the one who formed and fashioned and made and redeemed us. Everyone who has trusted in Jesus has found the purpose of their life. Being saved from death and saved to praise. Having talked about those reasons to praise in the first three verses, the psalmist then goes on, David goes on to give some reasons to praise. David calls now on other people to praise the Lord. You may have noticed that in verse 4, saying praise to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. And then David gives two reasons that the people of God should praise God. Here's the first one in verse 5a. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Here is the second one in verse 5b. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Let's take these one by one. At the very beginning here in verse 5, David acknowledges, begins by acknowledging that the Lord is sometimes angry. He's sometimes angry in this the anger of God is something that might scare us, and I suppose it should. You know, God is great and powerful, and his anger, therefore, is terrible when it's exercised. Out of anger for sin, the Lord God was able to destroy the whole world with a flood at the time of Noah. This is how great his power is. God was angry with the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah and was able to destroy both of those cities by fire. And so God's anger can be terrifying. You don't want to inflame the anger of the Lord God, and David here says that his anger sometimes does come. And lasts for a moment. But God's anger is also something that should comfort us. It's not something that should just fear us, it's something that should comfort us. If God were never angry, God would not be God. He wouldn't be a good God. Today is Father's Day. What kind of father, what kind of careless father would see harm about to befall his child and not be angry about it? What sort of father, if he saw his daughter, his young daughter, running into the street where there are busy cars, what sort of father would not rise up in anger and thunder at her to stop? A bad one. Any father that witnessed his child running headlong into destruction and didn't rise up in anger and cry at that child to stop, that would be a bad father. You know, yesterday, my daughter decided that she'd push my son down the slide in our backyard. He was there at the top of it. She just started, Poof, and then he just somersaulted down. It's a little bit funny. Not at the time, but in hindsight. And I got angry when I saw her push my son down the slide because her harmful behavior was wrong and if I wasn't angry about her destructive behavior I would be a bad father and so our heavenly father is sometimes angry and if he were never angry he would be a deficient father But a father would also be a bad father if his anger was stronger than his love. And Psalm 30 makes it clear that the love of God excels his anger. God may be angry, and he should be. But his anger is transcended by his love. He may be angry, but it's for a moment. His favor, his love, his kindness is forever. It's for a lifetime. As long as you live, the love and the favor and the goodness and the kindness of the Lord God will be with you, because that is who he is, a loving, caring, good father. His anger may last for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. God is so loving so kind that his favor is forever and the purpose of life is found in knowing his favor and praising him for it this is the first reason that David, King David the great ancient king of Israel is calling you today to praise because his anger lasts for a moment but his favor is for a lifetime here's the second reason That weeping may last for a night, but joy comes with the morning. Here's the second admission in the psalm here. Life isn't always good. I mean, part of the reason the psalms are so rich, so beautiful, so good, is that they are so honest about life. This psalm doesn't pretend that there's no such thing as weeping, that things are always okay. No, no, no. Weeping can last throughout the, the whole night. Life isn't always good. Life is sometimes very hard. Sometimes our dwelling is in the midst of the night of weeping. But joy will come in the morning. This is the promise of God for you today. Weeping will not always be that thing that characterizes you. Joy is coming. Joy is coming. There will be in your life times of loss, times of hardship, times of heartbreaking, but joy is coming. There will be in your life times of pain and times of brokenness and times of torment, but joy is coming. You may sorrow right now. You may be sorrowing right now as you are hearing these words, but it will not be forever. Joy is coming. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Even if your whole life is filled with pain and sorrow, there awaits for you a new dawn. It's captured by that great hymn, Abide With Me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks, and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O oh Lord, abide with me. Heaven's mourning is coming. Joy is coming, and joy excels and transcends the weeping. Having talked about that, the psalmist then, David, then talks about some barriers to praise. The psalm changes its perspective here a little bit in verse 6 and says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. David here is actually talking about some barriers to praise, some things that stop us from praising, that inhibit praise. And the barriers can be summed up by this, the barriers to praise are strength and prosperity. The barriers to praise, therefore, are self-reliance. The barriers to praise are self-reliance. Do you know what the opposite of faith is? The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is self-reliance. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is self-reliance. And David talks about a time in his life when he determined he was going to rely on self. I shall never be moved. My mountain is standing strong. There was a time when David felt like he was a mountain and felt as though he would never be moved. When David was younger, he trusted in his own strength. And this is actually surprisingly common. When you are younger, it's easier to trust in your own strength. I'm old enough to understand how this works a little bit. This is really common. I don't know who needs to hear this, but when you are younger, it is easy to feel indestructible there are a couple of ways that this works. I saw this past week a comic strip. There were four different, you know, four different boxes in the comic strip. It starts with a toddler who's running to his father. He's like, da-da-da-da. Dada. In the second comic strip, a meteor comes and lands on the kid. In the third comic strip, the wife is like, wait for a second, dear. Don't react. We'll see how he handles it. And in the fourth one, the toddler emerges from the meteor and is like, da-da, I got hit by a meteor. And then there's just a line at the bottom of it that said, I'm pretty sure kids are indestructible as long as you don't acknowledge that anything bad has happened. When you're younger, you seem indestructible. And then you start to realize it when you're in high school or you're in college, right? Because, man, I don't know if you recognize this, you high school students, you college students, you middle school students, you have an incredible amount of energy right now. It's not going to be the case for forever. I remember when I was in college and I could be out with friends until 6.30 in the morning and then up at 8.30 for church and in church and participating fully, no problem for the rest of the day, boundless energy. It doesn't exist so much anymore. You could sleep anywhere, anytime. You didn't have aches and pains that characterize those of us who are starting to get older. Now if I just sleep slightly wrong on my pillow, my neck hurts for like three weeks. When you're younger, it's easy to feel indestructible. And David is saying that there was a time in his life where he felt as though he was indestructible. He's like, I'm never going to be moved. And then he's like, but it was actually the Lord that was giving me strength at that particular time. David didn't realize it. He was saying, I won't be moved. I'm prosperous. I'm indestructible. But then the Lord hit his face. And all of a sudden, things weren't so easy or simple anymore. All of a sudden, he was facing devastation, and he felt as though the Lord had abandoned him, and everything started coming to pieces. He was trusting in his prosperity, and then things got rough, and so he realized that he needed to cry out to the Lord. 9, to you, O oh Lord, I cry. And to the Lord I plead for mercy. He came to the place where he recognized that he needed the mercy and the help of the Lord. And then he says this, What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? That's verse 9. Verse 9, he's saying, Lord, don't let me die. And if you let me die, I can't praise you anymore. And the dust that I will become, it won't be lifting up praise to you anymore. Lord, don't let me die. Let me continue my life so that I can continue my life's purpose, which is to praise you. He's overcoming this barrier to praise. He's saying, there was this this point in time where I was given to self-reliance. Now I understand I need you, and so please save me from death so that I can praise you. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. That's verse 10. He says in verse 10, he's acknowledging. He's getting it, right? can't do it on my own. I will, in fact, be moved. I need a helper. I need the Lord to be my helper. And so the barrier to praise that you might face will be the barrier of self-reliance. If you are trusting in yourself, if you believe that you are indestructible because of your youth or your strength or your beauty or your power or your money, you've got another thing coming. You will need to be brought to the place where you cry out to the Lord and you say, I can't do it on my own. I need you, O oh Lord, to be my helper. But God responds. And this is the last part here, total praise. Total praise, Because the Lord has responded and indeed has saved David from, from sin and enemies and from death, because he has saved David even from his own self-reliance and brought him to the place where he recognizes that he needs the Lord to be his helper, David praises him. And these last two verses are filled with praise. You have turned me, turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed, clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And this section is total praise for two reasons, because it talks about the extent of our praise, which will be forever, and it talks about how much of ourselves we can use for that praise, and it's all of ourselves, right? He says, you've turned my mourning into what? Into dancing. And so he's now praising God with his voice. You can see that. In verse 12, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silenced. He's going to use his voice and he's going to use his body. He's going to dance in praise to the Lord God. Now, this is one that can be tough for us. This is one that can be tough for us. It's hard for me. I mean, I'm constitutionally kind of like situated to just want to kind of be in this position all the time, right? This is about as as close as I get to dancing, you know, just maybe moving like this a little bit. It's hard for me to dance, especially, man, especially in a worship service, because, you know, when I was a kid and you started moving around, you get pinched. The big goal was to just sit still, right? No dancing. But the Psalms are filled with calls to praise God with voice and self and body. You know, there are times in my family where we dance. It's one thing that will happen. I'll turn on some music, we will dance, or we'll march. We'll turn on On Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Badgers fight song. We'll march around the house to it, me and Elsie will. And for some reason, when you involve your body and your voice in doing something, you realize that your whole self is doing something. And so, one of the things that we should do in praise to God is incorporate voice and body is dance. Listen, we're about to come to the end of this sermon and we're about to sing a song and there's something that I want to tell you. You're at home. I can't see you right now. Only your own family can see you. You can dance during this last song. It's a good one. 10,000 Reasons is a good song. You can dance while we're singing this one. Or you can, I mean, you can use your body. You can, like, lift hands. You can clap. I mean... I'm not going to know, right? You can tell me about it. You can post it in the comments or write me, send me a text or something like that. But you can use your body to praise God. And you can do it in the song that's coming up here in just a moment. I will. It won't be on camera. The praise team will see it. Maybe, maybe I'll go out to a place where they can't see me. Maybe, you know, we've been away for a while from the sanctuary. Maybe when we come back into the sanctuary, we can... Praise God with our voice. And with our body. Maybe we can incorporate our body in how it is that we praise God. Maybe our praise can be total in that sort of way. But the praise that David is offering here is total because it involves his whole body and it's total because it's forever. Oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is the purpose of his life. It's the purpose of your life. And you can start right now what, by God's grace, we will be doing forever. Dancing and singing and praising the one who made us. The one who made us for himself. We're going to be restless until we find our rest in God. We will be purposeless until we find our purpose in praising the one who made us. You are alive for a purpose. You're alive to praise God. That's what the psalm is telling us. I hope that this brings you joy and relief and gladness because it means that no matter how rich or poor you are, no matter how attractive or unattractive or successful or unsuccessful, it doesn't matter if you are black or white or well-adjusted or rebellious, educated or not, your purpose is to praise God. And you can realize today the purpose of your life, the reason for which you were made, you can worship God and know the rest that comes from being in him. It does not matter if you have been ascribed worth or value by the culture through what you've done or accomplished, everyone, and I mean everyone, has the same purpose, to praise God. You need no special resources to fulfill your life's purpose. You don't need the right sort of upbringing. You don't need people to give you the right sort of opportunities. God has made you for a purpose. You're alive for this purpose, to praise God. And when you praise Him, you'll know the rest that's found when realizing your life's purpose, because God has made us for himself. Our heart will be restless until it finds its rest in praising him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for saving us to praise you. We thank you for all of the reasons that you give us to praise you. We thank you that understanding our need for you overcomes the barriers to praising you, and we pray that we might praise you totally, with our whole selves, and for forever. We pray this in Jesus' name.